Today on Focus on the Family, we'll share more insights about how to move your marriage from good to great. And our guest is Catherine Hill. She has some simple strategies and tips like this, which can transform the relationship with your spouse. I think compromise is a really good tool and it can get us out of some uh, difficult situations. But ultimately what can happen is one or the other is the one who always ends up giving in and you end up with not the best. And so what we talk about instead is finding the third way. So finding something that is a bit bit of him and a bit of you and finding a different solution that you're both really happy with. I'm John Fuller and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, last time we featured a wonderful conversation that I recorded with our guest about a month ago during a trip to Scotland. And we mentioned last time that Catherine Hill is one of the leaders of Care for the Family, a sister organization to focus on the family. They offer Bible-based advice and encouragement to families in the United Kingdom. Uh, she's an author and speaker and former attorney who saw firsthand the devastation of broken marriages and broken families. So today she's working to strengthen and encourage families in the context of marriage and parenting. And we are thrilled to have her as a guest again today on the broadcast. And you recorded this interview with a live audience of some Focus friends uh, in the room, and we're going to hear from a few of them later on in this recording. Right now, here's part two of the conversation Jim had with Catherine Hill on Focus on the Family. Catherine, welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to be with you, and I love this book. If you forget everything else, remember this. And what would be the main point you're trying to get to? Oh, there's lots. Well, the idea of the book was to have lots of uh, short chapters with memorable headings. So in the busyness of life, you could just bring one thing to mind, a bit like the book of Proverbs, just remember one thing and then put that into practice in your marriage. But if I had to choose one, I would probably say that love is a choice. So on our wedding day, we promise to love the other person for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. And just remembering that that actually we need to make that promise and remember that every day. Especially when there's dirty socks everywhere, right? And wet towels on the floor. (laughs) And wet towels on the floor. I do want to mention the busyness side because I think here at Focus on the Family, a lot of couples will contact us and that's one of the pet peeves for either one of them. Speak to the busyness of life and how do we adjust that so we're healthier as a couple even though life is busy? Well, I think most of us are busy. There are maybe a few people that have a lot of time on their hands, but I think generally um, people live in a in the fast lane and we're busy maybe we are working outside the home and we're trying to bring up kids and we're trying to work at our marriage um there's just more and more things to do and i think it's compounded by the digital age so 24 7 now through the smartphone in your pocket uh we are connected to more people than ever before but actually Sometimes the people that we're closest to, um, we don't spend that time actually communicating. You know, in in the UK, like in the US, the amount of time that couples spend communicating deeply together is far less than 30 minutes a day. I mean, in some cases, some studies show three to four minutes a day. You can't survive on that, can you? You can't, you know, someone run out to work in the morning, grabbing a piece of toast on the way and then come in late in the evening, busy at night. I think if we're involved in church activity as well, um, that can also take its toll. And then we end up burning the candle at both ends and not having enough time 
for each other. In fact, I remember being uh, on holiday years ago now when our children were little and we were in a cottage and the other side of the cottage, another couple had uh, were also on holiday and they both had really busy jobs. They worked in the media and they had children. And I remember the wife saying to me, Catherine, uh, don't do what we've done. We've both had busy jobs. We've both tried to have everything and do everything. And we found when we get home in the evening, we haven't got time for each other. And yeah. I've never forgotten that. Yeah. You know, within the male conversation, often this is a badge of honor. How you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. You know, I cut this deal and I did this and yeah, I had to fly here and do that. Because we react to that like, wow. That guy is special. He does so much. That's not a healthy thing, right? Well, sometimes I think it can, uh, we can fool ourselves that we are being significant because we're busy. I also think it's possible to be busy on the outside, but hurry is the enemy of our souls. And I oh, think wow. if we good. try and not be hurried on the inside, because we do have stuff to do. We have to put food on the table. Yeah. Um, but if we can learn to live at a pace and also make time for each other. I think and that's the key. Catherine, you have a poem in your book, which this is the perfect spot for you to read this to us. It gripped my heart. Uh, share it with us. It's all about the, um, how much we value time. And uh, it says this, to know the value of one month, ask the mother of a premature baby. To know the value of a week, ask the writer of a weekly blog. To know the value of a day, Ask the dad who sees his children on Saturdays. To know the value of an hour, ask the young man waiting for his fiancée to call. To know the value of a minute, ask the teenager who just missed the last bus home. To know the value of a second, ask the driver who just avoided the accident. And to know the value of a millisecond, ask the athlete who won the silver medal. Those are good perspectives. Those are all special insights, right? They are. And I think it also conveys the fact that sometimes it's not just the amount of time, but it's what we do with it that's important. And certainly in marriage, we've got those little moments when we can connect over everyday things. But it's good sometimes just to make time, to put time in the diary. It, it sounds a bit uh, prosaic. It sounds a bit, bit sort of structured, but sometimes we just have to do it. I like that. Let's turn a corner and speak to the issue of friendship. Uh, at least in the U.S., I'm assuming it's similar in the U.K. Uh, we don't really know our neighbors sometimes. You know, you hit the garage door button, you go in, you do family, you go to work, you come home, hit that same garage door button. You might wave. And if they need you, they might call for something and vice versa. But you speak to the need of marriages in order to be healthy, that you need intimate friends who can do life with you speak to that that has been one lesson that ha we have really learned throughout our marriage um i think marriage is too hard to do it on our own we need friends around us who so why are we are secretive about it why do we avoid those relationships where they can speak into our lives well, it takes courage, I think, to be vulnerable. So we have um, one other couple, and we didn't plan it particularly. It's just happened. We're not particularly similar, but we meet up with them once a fortnight. We have a meal. Um, we laugh together. Sometimes we cry together. We pray together. And I know that they have got our back, and we have got theirs. And they have saved us, I know, from uh, slipping up 
particularly in relation to marriage. So I remember one evening and we were, Richard and I were being a bit irritable with each other. And um, Silas, the other guy, he just leant across the table and he said, uh, guys, are you spending enough time together? And we weren't. But it took him to speak into our marriage and for us to be vulnerable enough to let him uh, that made all the difference. I mean, this sounds very practical, but how do you have that conversation? What do you say to them? Listen, we want you to be able to speak into our lives. So if you notice something that can be really dicey because some people won't manage that well. How did you set that up? Well, I think for us, it grew organically. So we didn't plan it. It just happened. And um, the other couple had an issue that they needed some help with. We were able to help them and it grew from there. But we spend quite a lot of time with some young couples from our church, those who are in their 20s and 30s, been married for less than five years. And one of the things we say to them is do this, try and find um, another married couple that you can spend time with. And they always say that, well, how do we do it? And what if we ask them and they say no and all this. But honestly, it's just find another couple that they don't have to be your best friends, someone that you trust, someone that you like, someone that you want to spend some time with. And you don't have to bear your soul overnight. It can just grow gradually. Yeah. Organically is good. Yes. Rather than uh, prescriptive. Exactly. Okay, good. Catherine, you encourage couples to have a shared vision. And people listening now, some are saying, I don't even, what do you mean? Well, again, when couples are first married, sometimes in marriage preparation, we'll say to them, what are going to be your priorities in your marriage? You've got each other. You've got your relationship with friends. You might have children. uh, You've got your relationship with God. So what order are you going to put those in? What things are going to come first? And we encourage couples to do that. And then it's really building on that. And uh, I think couples can just sit down and think and pray and say, what is it in our marriage that we can do that is bigger than the sum of the two of us? So an example for you and Richard, what would that look like? Well, an easy example for us would be the stuff that we do in relation to coming alongside other married couples and families. We both have a passion for relationships. We both have a passion to see family life strengthened. And so that's one thing that works for us. And we open our home. Um, We have lots of people who come through. We particularly at the moment um, feel quite passionate about inputting the lives of the 20s and 30s who are just starting off. So that for us has been something, but it could be anything. It doesn't have to be related to anything like that at all it could be you know that you you love to it could be a serving thing Um, I think a really good thing if you don't know where to start is to uh, sit down pray together ask other people uh, what are the things that you see God wants to do in us and through us um, in our marriage and then just make some baby steps to begin that but having that vision that's that's bigger than the sum of the two of you I think not only benefits Uh, the people that you're going to help, but also strengthens your own relationship. That's a good piece of advice. So your vision could be born out of your passion as a couple. And it might be possible that couples have not even talked about that. What is our passion? And it might be that they have very different passions. And in which case, um, they need to just think about that. But I think just having that idea that our marriage is bigger than just the two of us and that God has purposes for us. That's a great statement. Transitions, you've mentioned them, the birth of your first child. Gene and I are at that point where our oldest is leaving the house, and that's big. Speak to the issues of transition and how we cope with them. 
Yeah, so our four left home and we navigated that season of transition and then they came back again. So, um, but now they've left again. So I think that very often um, we, we don't do this very well, mainly because we haven't done the, uh, the groundwork early on. And it's being flexible and it's being prepared to change and it's being able to just see how we can meet each other's needs. Um, there's a lovely story of um, a lady who talked about going out for a walk with her husband and how he slowed his step down for hers because her knees have got a bit arthritic these days and he needs a bit more time when he goes home so she knows to allow him that. But I think, so it's, it's looking at the adjustments that we have to make as we enter the different seasons of marriage there's an african proverb and it says as the music changes so does the dance and it's thinking ahead and investing in the relationship now and keeping communicating about how that season has changed so in that experience that you've had with couples that become empty nesters and with the amount of drama in couples that are becoming empty nesters what are two or three things that we should do to guard ourselves from losing each other emotionally? I think spending time together, having fun and laughing together. Laughter, the Bible says a cheerful heart is good medicine. And I think finding things that make us laugh, um, that draw us together. Sometimes thinking about what were the things we used to do um, before the kids left home and trying to build that into our marriage and spending that time together but talking about how we feel so maybe when a child leaves home often I think um, it's the wife finds it a more difficult thing sometimes than the husband because she's been more involved in the day-to-day care and the arrangements now it could of course be the other way around but allowing for that and allowing yourself to grieve if you need to as you move on to a new season yeah in that regard you know so many men Men tend to look for significance in our vocation, our title, what we do. And I think for many, many women, their relationship with their children and that transition to emptiness, this is, you know, this is their mark of significance. And this is what they've been doing for 18, 19 years, maybe 20, 30 years if they have three or four children. And it's hard to just end that. What would you say specifically to mothers about how to transition in a healthy way? I think that often as mothers, our identity is in as being a mum, particularly if we have invested in that a long time over a good number of years. And it can be a similar transition if we've been working and then we stop work because we've had children at home or even juggling work and children. And I think understanding, allowing ourselves time and space to realize that this is a difficult thing, not trying to pretend it's all all right, But then I think ultimately realizing that our identity isn't in what we do, it's in who we are. Let's turn to the audience here. Let's uh, do a quick Q&A with a couple of people. Let's three or four of you, if you have a question, let's get those. And this has been so good. Here in Edinburgh, what a wonderful setting in Scotland. Thanks for making the effort to be here. No, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm loving it. Well, I'm George from Clearwater, Florida. And uh, what coping skills can you give couples that are facing retirement? You talk a lot about other uh, areas and and times of life, but you haven't mentioned retirement and and facing retirement. That's good. That's a really good question. I think uh, one of the things is to give each other space uh, to um, 
adjust to the fact that this is a new season and we all change. Someone once said that um, we're married to several different people during the course of our marriage. And Meaning what they one meant person. by that, yeah, one <laughs> person, but that they change. And the season of retirement, if you've been out of the house and, um, and busy, suddenly you're both in the house, maybe getting a bit irritated because you're under each other's feet. And I think it's about finding new patterns and new ways of doing things and recognizing that it might be a bit lumpy to start with, but you will get there, particularly if you keep communicating and talking about what you need. What about that balance between pursuing your own interests in retirement and then combining things? Should you have as a spouse kind of an open heart and mind to let maybe your husband do some things that doesn't involve you? I think that's probably right. Uh, we're at a golf course here in Edinburgh. <laughs> I once said to my husband that I thought I should take up golf so I could play with him when he retired. And he didn't think that was a very good idea. So I haven't as yet. But sometimes that I think we need a mixture of both. We do need our own space yeah. as well as being able to do things I'll call together. Richard and help on that one. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. I'm Michelle from Dove Canyon, California. And um, I was wondering, how do you find that passion um, activity together? Maybe you've volunteered together already, you've served together, hosted Bible studies, but what about that next phase? Well, I think one thing is not to be too idealistic about it. I don't think every couple will suddenly find this incredibly amazing thing that they're both passionate about. Um, although I think having a, a joint purpose is really good. And I think try things out. Uh, if you, you try something and if it doesn't work, then um, we often say you try something new and then if it doesn't work, you go back to what wasn't working before. But, right. um, but I think ask friends as well, join in with friends and do things. And it's, I think this thing about what are the things that you both enjoy starting there and building from there and looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities that, that might come your way. You, you said earlier in the, in the broadcast that curiosity factor. This is where you need to keep curiosity going. So if something's not meeting that need, you try something new, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Mm. Um, and discovering maybe skills and passions that we didn't know we had or we certainly didn't know our husband or, or wife had. Mm. I'm Michael from Pennsylvania. I've been married for 50 years. Congratulations. And, um, yeah, that's great. Uh, males and females have different perspectives. I'd like to know your perspective on what resolving conflict looks like. Males seem to enjoy fixing things. From the female's perspective, what does resolving conflict look like to you? <laughs> Processing it. <laughs> well, I think I think processing it. I I don't know. I think people have different um, yeah. ways of approaching conflict, and probably there are some gender stereotypes within that as well. But for me personally, um, I actually don't really like conflict. Um, but I. I really don't like unresolved conflict. So I will go to places and I will be brave in order to make sure that it's resolved because I really hate it when it is unresolved. Uh, so, but for me, it will be processing it. I'm an external processor. So for me, it will be talking about it. My husband is an internal processor. So he'll do most of his thinking in his head. And his first thing that he says is probably uh, the thing that he won't change his mind on. Whereas I go all around the houses and back again because I work it all out <laughs> externally. So I think taking those personalities into account 
uh, as well. But for me, working through the process and getting to the place where either we agree to disagree or the issue is resolved. You know, you're describing something that has always fascinated me, why we tend as opposites to attract to each other. I mean, you and Richard, you just described that, right? It's very common that we possess different ways of processing, right? Why did God do it that way? Well, I think just to keep us working at things, maybe. I don't know. That's one question maybe I will ask him. I mean, it is uh, a, it's, it's kind of his sense of humor, I think, right? I'm going to well, put two people that don't think alike together. They're going to be attracted to each other. I think so we become more like him, which is selfless. So. I'm sure that is right. There's, we're, we're attracted actually to people who think the same as us on the big issues, right. but often we're attracted to someone who is the opposite of us. Correct. So if we are really disorganized, then we're attracted to someone who likes planning. Uh, if we are spontaneous, we, uh, we're attracted to somebody who's not. But At what, least for a few weeks. For a few weeks. I was going to say, because <laughs> what happened is then that, that very thing can start to annoy us and become an irritation. Exactly. Catherine, explain the significance of this quote. Marriage is a choice you have to make every day, each morning, choosing to agree on the vows you made. Wow, that, I, I would like to be able to do that every day. But to be honest, I haven't thought about that every day. There are many days I do, but every day. I think not many of us do do that. So that's something to aim for. And I think we recognize that uh, actually that's, that is a hard thing to do. But if we can do that, that almost sets the compass for the day. The Bible talks about putting on love. That's a passage that's often read at weddings. And almost if we can, in the way that when we get dressed in the morning, um, we put on our clothes. If in the morning we can resolve to put on love, uh, for our husband or wife, then again, that starts off on a good foundation. Mm. Uh, you conclude your book with a wonderful story about a taxi cab driver and his wife who had been happily married for 35 years, but then something happened and it challenged that relationship. What yeah, happened? I was, I was driving through London in this taxi and the guy just told me um, about his marriage. So, he had been married for 35 years. He said their marriage had had all the usual ups and downs of married life. And then one day, his wife went to the bathroom in the, in the night and she slipped and she fell. And then the next day, she went into the supermarket and she went to reach a tin from the shelf and it slipped out of her hand. And things carried on. And she went to the doctor and she was told that she had a degenerative disease that was affecting her muscles. And the doctor said to her, you must do some weight-bearing exercise. And so she tried to put that into practice. And she bought an exercise bike, but that didn't really work. Um, she joined a gym, but that was too difficult. And then one day, through their letterbox, came a flyer advertising ballroom dancing classes. And they decided to give it a go. And he said they went along and they really enjoyed it. He said, we weren't, we weren't particularly good, but it was really <laughs> fun. And then one evening they were sitting down and having a cup of tea. And he looked up and he said to her, um, what is it, he said, about this, about the dancing? You tried the exercise bike and that didn't work. The gym didn't work. What is it about the dancing? And she just looked at him and she said, don't you know? Because I do. It's because you're holding me. Mm. 
And I thought that was just such a beautiful description of marriage. One person being there for the other through the good times, through the bad times. Um, and that's that phrase, yeah. you're holding me. It's both what we crave and what we want to, I think, provide if you're healthy, right? Uh, absolutely. Catherine, this has been so good. Thank you for writing the book, and thank you for being with us here in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's wonderful to be in your neck of the woods. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. And that's how Jim Daly concluded his great conversation with Catherine Hill talking about her book, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This, Tips and Reminders for a Happy Marriage. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. It's been a fantastic two days listening to Catherine Hill sharing stories and wisdom in the area of marriage. And that last story was the kind that gets you thinking about where your own marriage relationship is. And just how vital it is to be there for each other in marriage. And if you're needing some help in your marriage, please don't hesitate to call our counseling department. We are trained therapists will be able to talk to you and help you. That number to call is 031-716-3300. Or you can get in touch via our website at safamily.co.za when you click the counseling button. You can also get a copy of Catherine's book, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This. That's through our website or when you call. We're very excited because in just two days, we kick off our tour of events with Rob Parsons and Catherine Hill. Together, they will unpack topics that every parent faces at some point. Setting boundaries, navigating the digital world, preparing kids for the world outside, and much, much more at an event titled What Every Parent Has to Know. And we've also got two morning seminars, one building emotional well-being in your children and one for enhancing your public speaking. We start in Cape Town at Joshua Generation Church Sunningdale and Common Ground Rondebosch on the 23rd and 24th of February, then Durban at Currow Hillcrest, and Freedom House Belito on the 28th of February and the 1st of March. And we end in Pretoria at Choose Life Church and Leeuwendewoord on the 2nd and 3rd of March. All the details are at safamily.co.za. I do hope that you'll book your tickets today. Thanks for listening in to Focus on the Family. I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.